SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. So I was stuck, surrounded by hundreds of these dolls, and it really did start to freak me out, because I could swear that their eyes were following me, their heads were moving. So it was very much like the movie. Everybody across the land, here's a special from SequelCast, though I don't know what it's gonna be about. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at films in a franchise one film at a time. This time it's a special episode looking at the career of the late Stuart Gordon, who just passed away. Unfortunately, he's a director, you know, perhaps best known for the uh, original Reanimator movie, but uh, he, he did a lot of works that were not just horror films, uh, as we'll discuss in the special program. With me is Thrasher. Do you believe he's dead now? Do you believe he's dead now? And Alex? Hey, hey, I don't think he's dead. I think he's right up there with Tupac and Biggie Smalls. <laughs> All right, it should be noted, uh, there was recently a reanimator, I think a musical on Broadway or something that he, he was involved with. Yes, he, he was, uh, I believe, like a consultant and possibly a producer on that. I wasn't able to find too much conclusive information about the uh, stage musical, unfortunately. Yeah, so... Um... I mean, I guess before we start sort of talking about his career, and uh, as you mentioned off Mike Thrasher, I think you'll be doing a lot of the heavy lifting on this one. Uh, what What's the first movie you've seen that was uh, directed by Stuart Gordon? First, oh, the first movie directed by Stuart Gordon? Uh, probably, and looking over his filmography now, probably Robot Jocks, which was a <laughs> staple it was a staple yep. of basic cable and home video. I believe it was a, a full moon, uh, a full moon job, and it's just it's everything you want. It's a uh, it's it's about a sport where giant robots beat the hell out of each other, and it's all <laughs> done with practical effects and stop motion uh, animation. And a shout oh, and a shout out to uh, the bad movie fiends, uh, BMF Cast at BMFCast.com. Uh, Ro- Robot Jocks is kind of the foundation of their their B movie rating system. They consider it the platonic ideal of a good B movie, and and I largely agree with them. That's awesome. Um, yeah, same here. Robot Jocks was my um, you know, introduction to Stuart Gordon without actually knowing who he was. It was actually funny because I had discovered the movie because of um, my cousins growing up. They were Jehovah's Witnesses, and um, you know they're very strict about what you could watch. You know these guys didn't let their kids watch like scooby-doo you know that's how hardcore they were but for some reason robot jocks was cool because it was just kind of like a sci-fi robots punching each other thing so it was kind of like an anime before you knew what anime was type thing so then like backdating the work of Stuart garden i was like oh robot jocks he did that that's that's awesome <laughs> yeah have you seen this one uh matt 
I, I haven't, but looking at looking at these titles, you know, a lot of these things I haven't seen. Uh, I am always annoyed on IMDb when they list things like uh, TV movies are okay, but like video shorts and and you know music videos or behind the scene documentaries as as directing credits always kind of annoys me. But anyhow, um, what I was going to say is looking at these titles that, that I recognize, I, I've seen the video box for these a lot. Like these are always at the blockbuster video uh, that I worked at. Um, especially things like Space Truckers and From Beyond it had a pretty evocative video cover back oh, in the yeah. days. It, listeners, you might not realize this if you're younger, but there was something called a video rental store where you'd leave your house. <laughs> They've you know, seen talk- Captain Marvel. I think they know. Yeah, video I'm talking is. science fiction here. You leave your house, you go into another building, <laughs> and uh, you, you stare at boxes on the wall, and you often pick something because of the cover or maybe because of an actor that's in it. And if you don't know much about what's happening, you can't just... Uh, look on your phone and find out the guy's filmography or what's the next film in his filmography. You had to know stuff. It was, it was a different time, a different time, yeah. but um, yeah, it, it, I think uh, the first that I saw was something we saw for this show, uh, Thrasher in the original incarnation in the sequel cast. Uh, I, I think in the first two dozen episodes or so we covered reanimator. So that's the first time I saw a Stuart Gordon film. Nice. Uh, yes. Written, written. It's his first film. It was written and directed uh, by Stuart Gordon and this ties into his background because he was originally a film director. Uh, and m- most of the actors that were in Reanimator were from the theater group he directed. They had, uh, mm. d- they, they were all interested in transitioning to film. And somebody had pointed out, well, because of the way horror movies work, if you can make a horror movie and keep the budget below a certain level, below a certain amount, it is virtually impossible to lose money. So we would at least break even. And trying to search for film material that hadn't be covered, someone who knew Pulp Fiction had suggested, oh, have you heard of Reanimator? It's sort of a Frankenstein pastiche, but more <laughs> medical. Uh, we could do that. And, and there's a great story of how... Uh, the Lovecraft reprints weren't as available then as they were now. So he had to go to a library in Los Angeles and read an old issue of weird tales that they had in an environment controlled room. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, Yeah, that was um, the reanimator. I have to say like, there's a lot of Lovecraft adaptations or Lovecraft inspired horror movies out there. And if you if you say Lovecraftian horror flicks, I go straight to Stuart Gordon because um, Reanimator and From Beyond stick out the most to me as like the most successful Lovecraftian adaptations in my mind, anyhow. And um, while well, like Reanimator from the outset, you know, you know, like the severed head stuff and all the, you know, the, the the taboo material. But when you actually watch it, when I when I actually became acquainted with the film, I was like, this is a really good movie. Um, all jokes aside, it's a solid flick. Uh, it's really well directed. I, I will go so far as, as somebody who has read a lot of Lovecraft's work and seen a lot of film adaptations. Reanimator, the movie, is better at being a movie than Reanimator, the the uh, shorts, the serialized short story, is at being a serialized mm. short story. <laughs> Sure, I, I can believe that. And, you know, that's just Stuart Gordon. He did a lot with his uh, producing partner, Brian Usna, who directed, um, you know, uh, what is it, Bride of Reanimator and uh, Reanimator. Oh, Beyond Reanimator. The, thank you, the one in prison. Yeah, Beyond Reanimator. Um, it has this creepy little rat creature in that one. But, yeah, it he, <laughs> you know, Stuart Gordon did a lot of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft things, as we mentioned, because uh, uh, From Beyond is... H.P. Lovecraft inspired, and I think that's sort of a good transition. I've never seen this film, but I've heard it's a lot of fun. 
It's great. Uh, so from beyond the short story, it's a really short, short story. If you if you want if you want a Lovecraft story, you can read from beginning to end in the shortest possible commute. That's the one you go to. And short version is a guy visits his friend who's a scientist, and the scientist has invented a machine that projects ultraviolet light that lets you see creatures that exist in a parallel universe. But the longer you leave the light on, the more likely the creatures are to see you. Uh, and the narrator of the story eventually flees from his friend's house in terror as his friend is presumably dismembered by these creatures from another dimension. So From Beyond the Movie, that's that's real short story. So what From Beyond the Movie is, is the short story is the first act of the movie. Uh, mm. The rest of the movie is just the consequences of more and more people finding out about this machine. And they play around with it because one of the f little things that's dropped in the story is that the ultraviolet light affects your pineal gland, which is that turns out within the context of the story to be a dormant sort of psychic sense organ. So the movie plays that up and people's pineal glands burst out of their forehead and they start to develop outsized personalities Uh it's it's really great, and the practical effects are not to be believed. Yeah, they, they are, are stunning. Yeah, they are fleshy and messy, and and uh, worthy of screaming Mad George. They have that same kind of feel. <laughs> and um, go on. Sorry. Go I on. think um, like something that for the longest time I was more acquainted with Cronenberg before I was acquainted with Lovecraft. And uh, now I can see that, you know, Cronenberg took a lot of cues from Lovecraft and um, a lot of things I noticed in From Beyond and Reanimator is that no one can really die normally. You know, you just don't keel over or, you know, you don't get your head cut off. You you have swelling veins pop from your head and your eyes gouge out and, you know, you've got pus gushing from your skull. And it's um it's fascinating just kind of it getting acquainted with the work of Stuart Gordon, I think, saddled me um with the work of H.P. Lovecraft and, and understanding the, the influence all the more. Nice. Um, you know, looking at his filmography, he sort of finished his Lovecraft trilogy, if you want to call it that, with uh, Dagon in 2001. Oh, it's Dagon, an ad, uh, which is an adaptation of The Shadow Over Innsmouth and not Dagon. Overall, it's it's pretty successful. Uh, it, also, uh, it also has the same kind of links to the source material that we see uh, from Reanimator. The main character is an alumni of Miskatonic University. Uh, you know, the, the usual gods' names are invoked throughout the movie. Again, lots of practical special effects. There is some CGI, but the CGI is used very sparingly and as a result holds up pretty well. Excellent. Very cool. Um Speaking of horror writers, one thing he did, although it was a TV episode, was uh, he did episodes on both seasons of the uh, anthology series Masters of Horror. And The Black Cat was uh, one in which uh, it's an Edgar Allan Poe story, but it has none other than Jeffrey Combs playing Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, yes. I have not seen his adaptation of The Black Cat. I have seen his adaptation of Dreams in the Witch House. Yes. It's very good. Exactly. I like I like the way they do the character Brown Jenkin, who is within, within the, the H. Bloodcraft story, is the familiar of a, a rat that's a familiar of a witch that got hanged during colonial times. And the way they do Brown Jenkin is it is just a guy in a rat suit. But it's shot <laughs> such a way that you can't figure out what its scale is, and it's really <laughs> creepy. It, it it 
it takes what would otherwise be elements of a bad special effect and puts it into this uncanny valley situation that only makes it creepier. Nice. Have you ever seen that series of Alex Masters of Horror? Um, I've only seen the John Carpenter, the John Carpenter, the Takashi Miike, and mm-hmm. uh, I think that's it, actually. I, I wanted to check out their Argento did one, right? Argento did one. Um, I believe it's streaming for free on. Is uh, it Shutter? Not not Shutter. No, you would think it'd be Shutter. I mean, it could be in Shutter. I'm not sure, but I saw oh, yeah. it was for free on. Not not Pluto TV, but like one of those services like that. I'll, I'll have to yeah. look it up later and get back to you. But I, I like that it was on Showtime that you can kind of let these horror directors a lot who hadn't directed stuff in a while including, you know, Stuart Gordon, uh, to get back on the topic of the show, got to kind of do what they wanted. And the Takeshi Miike film uh, he did for season one was so uh, uh, gross that Showtime refused to, refused to air it. Yeah, I think really? that was one of our taboo yeah. episodes. Yeah. Uh, what was it, Pelt, I believe? No, that was her turn. No, no, no. Pelt was someone else. Um, yeah. Joe Dante did a few. A lot of good directors in the show. Yeah. Unfortunately, what basically what, it's, uh, what was the third season was called Fear Itself. That uh, had a lot of the same people involved, but it was on network television, so it was a bit uh, uh, compromised. Yeah, I can't um, do it well there. Um, but yeah, there's like I feel like there's a lot of um, Lovecraft adaptations that don't work so well, with the exception of yeah, uh, uh, the Resurrected, the 1991 film. I think that's a lot of fun. Um, hmm. You've got like Die Monster Die, Dunwich Horror, Bleeders. Um, you know, there's there's some fun stuff, but. Out of the bunch, I mean, Reanimator and From Beyond and even um, Castle Freak, I think, work, work the best out of the lot. Um, I had just seen Castle Freak today, and I didn't know it was a direct-to-video film. Mm. Um, it's very mature. It's very um, very adult. Um, pretty grim stuff. A lot of, like, creepy sexual mutilation kind of stuff going on. And, um, again, he's using a lot of the... Um, a lot of the, the, the characters from his um, stock company, because he was a theater director for so long, um, like, uh, what's his face there? Uh, not Robert Combs, but... Jeffrey Combs? Jeffrey Combs, thank you. And um, and Barbara Crampton, and, and these guys, they're, you know, they're solid actors, and it's a shame that their careers were kind of limited to, you know, they did stuff with Stuart Gordon, and then they did other horror stuff as kind of references to being in Stuart Gordon movies. Well, you know, they should have had very solid standalone careers as, as talented actors because that's what they that's what they were. Well, actually, it it also makes his Lovecraft adaptation something of a film adaptation something of a quadrilogy because uh, Castle Freak is also sure. inspired sure. by a Lovecraft story. Yeah, it's oh, absolutely fair. And then also, I mean, we, yeah, um, no, you're right in the head. I don't know what I'm thinking here. Um, you know, one, one credit of, of Stuart Gordon that I bet is a movie most of our listeners have, have heard, but it's something that he he wrote an early screenplay of, he wasn't a director of, was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. No way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> his, title for it, his title for it was Teeny Weenies, which is an <laughs> awful title. Um, speaking of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, you know, Disney was uh, going to go full-fledged, do a kind of a soft reboot sequel thing that pretends like the sequels don't exist where Josh Gad would have been the son of Rick Moranis and Rick Moranis would uh, reprise his role and be on screen for the first time. But then coronavirus has happened. So, you know, they're not filming it right now, but hopefully Rick Moranis will still be in it. I've been waiting for Moranis to make a comeback of some sort. He will make an appearance 
on the uh, thing that was filmed last year for Netflix, an SCTV anniversary special directed by Scorsese. No shit. Um, yeah, that, that was supposed to come out last year. It didn't come out last year. I assume it's coming out sometime this year, but they convinced Moranis to make a public appearance for that. He just, you know, made all his Disney money and his wife died, unfortunately. And yeah. he, he raised his kids, which is quite an honorable thing to do. And he wouldn't take a pro. I mean, the only real projects he did, aside from two comedy albums, the agoraphobic cowboy and something about like my mother's brisket. I love my mother's brisket or something along yeah. those lines. Uh, is he did a, a voice in uh, Brother Bear and Brother Bear 2 um, for the Disney cartoons. Wow, so, yeah. Late period 2D animated things. But, I was going to say, if um, if Rick Moranis doesn't make a comeback in something like that, it'll probably be like in a Quentin Tarantino movie or something like that. Because <laughs> that's like, you know, the thing. Yeah. So, so Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, it, it, it's... I, that's a, a, a movie that I, I very, I very much enjoy. Although I'll admit I haven't seen it in in probably over a decade. It's but Plus. but everything in it, every ingredient in it, is like what you would get in one of those cheapy direct to video Blue Moon video uh, yes. movies, yep. but executed in the best possible way. I mean, it's and it and it's full of like goofy incidental sci fi concepts that. Uh, Gordon would often put into his films, and I'll talk about more as they go because some of them are coming up on some of his other movies. Right. Well, yeah. and in a way, you know, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is a mad scientist movie, just like Reanimator. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Just oh. one's a com- one's a comedy, and one involves Cunnilingus, and I'll let you guess which one. Boing. Definitely, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Um, and then there's Dolls. I actually haven't seen Dolls, but like that was another very evocative VHS cover. I remember from like paneling around in, in, in video stores and stuff. Yeah, I it says on the poster. It says on the poster, they walk, they talk, they kill. It's a doll with the uh, eyeballs out of its uh, face and in its uh, in its hands, and it's half a skull, which was imagery yeah. you saw on a lot of video boxes at the time. Stark white font on a black background. Yeah, it's a, it's a freaky cover. I'm looking at mm-hmm. it right now. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah, it's it, it so looks good. Cool. I don't know why I haven't seen it till recently. And then um, there's the 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 pit and the pendulum with Lance Henriksen, which I haven't seen, but that was another very um, prominent tape cover that I looked at a lot with um, you know, creepy Lance Henriksen, you know, with the 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 titular pendulum swinging around. <laughs> looks pretty cool. Didn't um. Corman do a pit in the pendulum movie with Vincent Price? Yes, oh, he did. Great. He he did, and it's and he it's advertised in one of the beach movies. I forget which one it is, but in one <laughs> of the one of the beach movies, there's this figure who everyone I think just refers to as dad or the man <laughs> who's always slouched in the corner of the of the dive bar where the kids hang out with his straw hat over his head. And everybody talks about, hey man, one day the boss is gonna wake up and he's gonna give us the word. And then at the very end of the movie, they're like, hey, the boss is waking up. And he lifts his hat, and it's Vincent Price. And he, like, goes, the pit! Get out my pendulum, kiddies. I'm ready to swing. Uh, and the little part swing. comes up, see Vincent Price in the pit of the pendulum coming to this theater. Oh, that's amazing. So, so did you see this uh, version of Pit and the Pendulum that Stuart Gordon did? Sadly, no, and it's I, not, it's not yeah. a complete straight adaptation because it combines the pit and the pendulum with the cask of Amonte, uh, Amontillado. Another great uh, right. Poe story. Yeah. And uh, a lot of this stuff is kind of hard to find, too. Some of it only came out on videotape. Some of it got 
barely a DVD release. If that, um, you know, if you want to track down a copy, some of this stuff goes for over a hundred bucks on eBay. Like it, it's oh, yeah. really random what what's available and what's not. Um, Fortress is with Christopher Lambert. It also had a sequel. This was a perennial favorite on HBO. Yes. Days on HBO. This was probably on. If it was before noon, Fortress <laughs> is on, and it's this. It's this movie with people in a space prison in orbit over Earth, and it's and strangely enough, now uh, there's a whole direct to streaming market of movies that are just ripping this off. Where it's like, let's <laughs> mm. the biggest actor we have, let's put him in a space prison and just let things go to hell. There's a lot. <laughs> Um, and wow. this has one of those goofy sci-fi concepts when they are first sent to the prison to monitor their, their so that they can't hurt themselves to uh, to monitor their health. They're given what are called intestinators. And there's the scene they're strapped to a table and this like hose forces their mouth open and it implies that it's snaking all the way through their bowels to oh. implant these life support sensors. Wow. Whenever I see Christopher Lambert, I'm just reminded of a especially savage review of him as Raiden in the film Mortal Kombat, <laughs> where it says he can't even walk convincingly. Um, I, I think <laughs> that's a bit unfair. <laughs> you know, Christopher Lambert, I think, could be good in the right role. But if it kind of like Nicolas Cage, if you don't find that perfect uh, kind of eclipse where everything lines up perfectly, it, it just kind of falls flat. Yeah, he's a unique presence. Um, I will say in one of the recent Christopher Lambert movies I saw was um, I kind of blind bought a used uh, Shout Factory Blu-ray a couple years ago of sure. The Hunted, um, a directed video. Oh, via, okay. Yeah, and I thought it was a lot of fun. And Christopher Lambert, I thought, was, you know, kind of goofy, but he worked in the movie and he got John Lone, uh, uh, Joan Chen in there. And it's, it's a stupid movie, don't get me wrong, but it's a very fun, stupid movie. And he works in, in fun, stupid things. Um, I know Michael Cimino's The Sicilian, which is a movie I've tried to like so many times because I like Cimino. Yeah. Eh, yeah, he's not so good. But um, anyhow, back to Stuart Gordon. I, I have to see The Fortress after what I what I just heard. That sounds incredible. It, it's it's worth it's worth seeing it there. It's it's a it's a pretty fun movie. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess we're going we're gonna to skip over Honey, I Blew Up the Kid because he just produced that. But Body yeah. Snatchers which he wrote, which is, of course, a remake of a remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It is fantastic. Is it? Wait, are we talking about the Abel Ferreira one? Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, I love that movie, and I am just I am just head over heels with uh, Abel Ferreira. I think he's just, he's the real deal, man. Like, this guy just, like, if you see, like, an interview or behind-the-scenes footage with him, he is just like an old school New Yorker who doesn't mince words. You know, he still talks like he's in the 70s. He's like, man, dig this, man. This chick's out of her mind. And he's just like the coolest guy ever. And um, I think Body Snatchers is actually his most commercial effort. Um, and mm -hmm. it's a terrific film. And uh, I can see the Stuart Gordon influence there. And, the, you know, the, the Body Snatchers lineage, the trilogy of them, I guess, is, is very, um, you can see the connection. And, uh no, it's a terrific film, and the more I think about it now, yeah, no, it definitely feels like a, almost like a Stuart Gordon co-production in a way. Well, it's, looking, it's, at, looking at IMDb, I like that poster a lot. I mean, look at that. You get the... Yeah, it's freaky. The, the, the veiny woman with the closed eyes, and it cracks open, and she's underneath. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. It's brooding. It's atmospheric. Nice. Uh, there's... Uh, it, 
it 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 is it's it's full of some some gr- some great body horror. There's just this one image where, unlike m- most other adaptations of this, they kind of go into some detail of how the body snatchers work, where they'll hide the pods like in the floorboards yeah. of your house, and while you sleep, like little tendrils come up and burrow into your eyes, yeah. nose, and mouth. And by the time you notice you're there, you're paralyzed. And then next morning, uh, the pod hatches open, a copy of you comes out that disposes of the original you, and there you go. And it has, there's, there's a, Meg Tilly is in it, and uh, you come to find out that she is, that she is replaced with a, with a pod person at some point. And she gives a speech early on in the movie that gets repeated in the end, mm. when the main character escapes and decides they're going to try to hunt down any other pod people that might be showing up. And it's just like, where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? And who you gonna tell? Because we're everywhere, and we're just like you. It's so uh, creepy. Yeah, it's a great flick, and it's got a it's got a killer cast. Um, Terry Kinney's in it. Um, if you're a big Oz fan, that's um, McManus. Um, Forrest Whitaker's in there in a supporting role. You've got um, Arlie Ermey, and I like the decision to move it to a military base. I thought it gave it this really cool kind of um, anti-establishment vibe to the film, which felt consistent with Abel Ferreira and consistent with Stuart Gordon in that. His, his, his work seems always very um, apprehensive of, of institutions and um, in more academic settings. Well, well it brings uh, in some, some criticism of the military-industrial complex and, and sort of militaristic indoctrination to begin with. But then it also you know, raises, raises the question, is a, person, is, is a person acting the way they are because they're a pod person, or are they acting the way they are because they're just living a really rigid military lifestyle? Right, which ups the suspense factor so much more because, you know, drones and automatons and then, you know, aliens taught to clone the, you know, mannerisms of people. What better place to hide out or, or germinate than at an Air Force base or a military base? It's a great concept. It's one of the best uh, body snatcher um, adaptations, which is which is saying something, I guess, out of three. They're all equally great, but. Sure. Um, another thing on here that, that he wrote, he did not direct, was The Dentist. Uh, I have not been fortunate enough to see this film, but uh, I've had a lot of negative experiences at the dentist. Oh, yeah. And, and it, it's sort of a natural for like a horror movie thing. And it's got a sequel, uh, both, you know, starring the Corbin Burnson as Dr. Island Finestone. Uh, did you ever watch any of these, Thrasher? I, I'm not familiar. No, I have, I have. I was about no. to say I have, but then I realized the movie I was thinking of was Doctor Giggles. So no, I have oh, not yeah, seen the yeah. dentist. You're right. That's the other killer dentist movie from the time. I like that the sequel, The Dentist Two, was. It says brace yourself. <laughs> like braces, well, get it? Well, <laughs> although what is interesting is the dentist. It is loosely based on a true story. Really? Uh, no way. Yeah. The so it it wasn't about a dentist who was a serial killer. It was about a the the original guy it was based on was a dentist who was also a mafia hitman. Hmm. Like, yeah, and the like being a dentist was just kind of his side job slash cover, and the whole reason he got caught uh, is that he had to dispute he had a dispute with his landlord that escalated, so he killed his landlord. He did <laughs> one killing. For personal reasons, and right. they were able, investigators were able to tie it back to him. That is too funny! Wow, well, that's uh, you never know. Of course, with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, not only did it get a theatrical sequel, um, Honey, I Shrunk the Baby, or whatever the hell it was called, 
but it had a direct video one with Rick Moranis, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, and it had a TV show that lasted for three seasons, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, in which uh, Gordon directed an episode, Honey, Let's Trick or Treat. I did not know about the TV series. Wow. The TV series was pretty fun. Uh, the guy, uh, oh, I believe, I believe the father is played by the same by uh, the guy who wasn't Tom Hanks from Bosom Buddies. The guy right. who was also Pe- an Peter Scolari. Yeah, yeah, Peter Scolari. It was overall it was a pretty, it was a pretty fun show. And one of the things they were smart to do very early on is we can't have every episode be about shrinking. So every episode, some new anomalous sci-fi concept is introduced. And they just All kind right. of riff on that, whether it's aliens or time travel or cloning. You know, he's tinkering with the new invention every episode or something gets thrust on them every episode. That's kind uh, of hilarious that, like, let's start a show based on a movie about shrinking people, but we got to avoid the shrinking gimmick. That <laughs> reminds me of one of the more tenuous tie-ins for a TV show. Uh, Friday the 13th is the series. Oh, in yeah. Which the production oh, yeah. company only got the rights to the movie, but it, it's really about a... Um, kind of a curiosity shop that that shell that uh, sells things to people that are have usually are cursed in some ways and one of them is the mask from jason i think like only present in the opening credits like it's such a weak link at oh, yeah. least the nightmare on elm street tv series which is not great either it has freddy krueger in like he's got uh, like help, a healthy right? number of the episodes yeah, you know, he's like the Crypt Keeper introducing the segments, uh, and he's actually in some of the episodes, but not as many as you would think. But yeah. Toby Hooper directed the pilot of that, which we talked about on an episode of uh, Sequel Cast 2 a few years ago, I think. Right. Nice. So, so I really want to talk about Space Truckers. Space Truckers Go is a it. really enjoyable mid-budget sci-fi comedy. Like, every dollar is on the screen. Dennis Hopper? Yeah, starring Dennis oh, Hopper. I love Dennis Hopper and Stephen Dorff. Wow, okay. But it's it's just it's just really fun. It takes place in a future where space travel is common enough that it can be a blue collar job. And Dennis Hopper plays this grizzled uh, independent space trucker who kind of stubbornly refuses to sign up with the delivery franchise. Uh, And he's desperate for work. So he takes a no questions asked shipment. And little does he know what he's shipping are attack robots that once delivered are going to lay waste to Earth's capital. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that sounds amazing and, love- and there's so much more going on there's mm. a space pirate subplot which is just amazing <laughs> and has some great like cybernetic humor uh the, the cyborg i'm not i'm not getting i don't want to give it away because it's a great bit but the cyborg has a particular sexual attachment that uh that is oh. powered by a pull stroke engine it's it's great oh my god like it's full of full of goofy uh Stuart gordon sci-fi flourishes that's so cool. I got to watch that, too. Wow. Oh, George Went is in it. Also, he has a, a cameo. Iggy Pop has a cameo. And also, nice. there are square pigs. There are genetically engineered <laughs> square pigs that are easy to transport. Oh, my goodness. That sounds amazing. There um, you go. Because the, usually, like, the blue-collar, like, alien knockoff stuff was kind of limited. Like, yeah, that Sean Connery movie, Outland. And then they had the Luigi Calci movie, um, Contamination. But there weren't a lot of alien knockoffs or, you know, what felt like alien knockoffs. So you don't see a lot of blue collar space movies in like the mid to late 90s, like space truckers. So, yeah, this one really, really works. That's awesome. The only thing I can think of, it wasn't called space truckers, but there's space pirates. It's oh, yeah. Sort of another sort of comedic science fiction film. But yeah, the knockoffs of aliens, pirates. they knocked off the alien part. 
but not not yeah. the blue collar part, which is such a part of the texture of that first Alien film by Ridley Scott in particular. So this is, so the next movie, it, it's very, very well regarded in a lot of filmmaking circles. I had several film professors back at the Savannah College of Art and Design talk about this movie. Uh, but The Wonderful Ice Cream Suit, it was directed and produced uh, by Stuart Gordon, but it's based on a story uh, by Ray Bradbury. And Bradbury did the screenplay as well, and then he also, it was a stage play at one point. Uh, it, it stars Edward James Olmos, Isai Morales, Joe Mantegna, you know, so great cast. Nice. I was always tempted to rent this when I worked at Blockbuster Video. I'm not sure why I didn't. I think maybe the title I thought was a bit silly. Yeah, I don't know what to make of this looking at it, but knowing the talent behind it now, I'm like, okay, no, I would definitely see this because Edward James uh, Olmos is terrific, as well as what? Joe Mantegna. Well, it must have been great to work with them and collaborate with Bradbury. I mean, that must have been a dream come true. But as, as far as what's it, what it's about, it's about, it's about these uh, these uh, five Latin American guys who are all kind of down on their luck. And they all have job interviews and court dates and things. And they all want to look well. So they all decide to all go in. They're about the same size. So they all go in and buy one really, really nice suit. And just rotate it between themselves. And every time they go out wearing this suit, not only do they feel great and have a lot of confidence, but good things start to happen to them. That's awesome. And I, be I believe it's called the ice cream suit just because like, like it's like vanilla cream or something is the color yeah. of the fabric. That sounds incredible. And um, Edward James almost is a fascinating actor. I mean, I've, I've been a big fan of his and then learning like the behind the scenes notes with Blade Runner and how he really like cultivated the street speak language and um, his um, his uh, directorial film uh, American Me, where he was like a very it was like a very, like you know, epic look at um, uh, Latino, you know, gang culture mm -hmm. through the start of the Zoot Suit riots into, you know, modern uh, day, you know, um, Chicano stuff and um yeah, just as an actor, he's a fascinating dude, and whenever he's into something, he really gives it his all, and um, so anything he's in, I'm automatically drawn to. I don't know how this one um, missed, was off my radar for so long, but it looks great. Although it has, like, a, you know, it was rated by the MPAA. Like, I don't think it had a big theatrical release. It was not easy to find in, in video stores. Um, and then the next, uh, we have a few more left on his uh, credit list here. There's uh we have Dagon and then we have King of the Ants. And I, I do think it's really a shame that someone of Stuart Gordon's talent was relegated to a lot of direct to video movies with pretty low, low budgets uh, late in his career. Yeah, the King of the Ants cover is really freaky looking, the blank face with the the, the stitching on it. It's um it's pretty pretty freaky and uh yeah. It's it's less of a horror movie and and more of a psychological thriller. Is the 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 main the king of the ants the main character is uh is a groundskeeper and exterminator who who kind of gets who keeps getting screwed over by by a lot of his by a lot of his like clients with really big yards and fancy houses and then w one day while you know doing doing a job that he's being underpaid for he like an, an ant colony gets disturbed and he gets swarmed by fire ants and yeah. gets injected with all this ant venom kind of passes out from heat passes out from heat stroke and and the ant bites and when he comes to he's had a psychological break and so he just goes through his list of clients killing off all the clients who stiff contractors nice that sounds amazing 
I mean, it's it's what you want in a Stuart Gordon movie. Right. It all adds up. I mean, this really, we, we have a lot to catch up on, I think, uh, in, his, in his filmography. Um, so, one on here, Edmund, is actually based on a play by David Mamet, who also wrote the screenplay. Uh. Like, I had no idea this movie even came out. It starred William H. Macy, who did a lot of David Mamet stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yeah, I was looking at that, too. And um, another one that stuck out to me was, um, the. it looks like a short film, Eater, with um, Elizabeth Moss from 2008. I, I love, love, love Elizabeth Moss. Um, her spell from 2019 is, like, one of my favorite top ten of the year. Uh, um, yeah, and, Eater is uh, an episode of Fear Itself, which was a sort of unofficial third okay. season of Masters of Horror. Uh his last theatrical film is is one I have seen, and it's it's quite good. It's also based on a true story, just like The Dentist. <clears throat> it is Stuck. Okay. A movie with uh, Stephen Rhea, I believe. Yes, that's right. Um, and Mina Savari, uh, who wears dreadlocks, which is not a good look on her. Um, <laughs> in, in in a movie about a young woman just driving along, hit hits a hits a homeless man who gets lodged halfway into her car. It's stuck, as the title says, and then she just leaves him to die in her garage, but he's still he's still alive and tries to get her. You know, it's more it's more of like a thriller, um, but it's really creepy. It has a lot of gore effects. It is uh, just a very very suspenseful picture based on a real life story that was just horrifying. I mean, I think in the real life version, the guy that got hit. The lady just just parked the car with the guy bleeding out uh, in front of her house and went to a wow. party or something. But the, the way it works, you know, the movie plays hard and loose with the facts a bit. But it's really this intense, low budget, like one or two location uh, nice. thriller uh, with with a concept that you know it's hard to believe something similar to it actually happened. I have seen this. This is very effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks solid. Um, I'm a big Stephen Ray fan just because I'm a yep. Neil Jordan fan, which I guess is oh, kind of sure. mutually exclusive. So he's seeing him work with someone else's is kind of uh, a curiosity note in and of itself. So this looks great. Yeah. Unfortunately, what's listed as his last director credit, which I don't think should really count, is something from uh, good old Charles Band and Company, Bunker of Blood, Chapter 5, Psycho Sideshow, Demon Freaks. That's quite the title. So wow. Bunker of Blood is a series of stuff from Full Moon where they just take clips of their other movies and have a very loose surrounding story that might be comic book stills or a really uh, poorly acted short film or something. That's and good. Yeah, that's, and this uses clips from Castle Freak. Yeah. And yeah, and this frames them with an all-new animated narrative. Right, because I saw Bunker of Blood 1 which is just clips from the some of the Puppet Master films where this like flash animation of like a guy sticks a VCR or uh, videotape in a VCR and it just plays random full moon <laughs> like Gorehound clips. Oh, um, just kind of cash grab stuff. Uh, yeah, more than kind of, but yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there, there is that uh, connection with uh, Charles Band, you know, not not just from him producing some of Stuart Gordon's earlier films, but his brother, I believe, uh, what is it? Richard Bant. What the hell was his name? Um, his brother did the music for reanimator. Oh, that is true. Oh, okay. Richard yeah. Bernard, yeah. basing off of Bernard Herman's score from psycho uh, heavily based, <laughs> which I, I always liked it. You know, some people would say it's a ripoff and I would just say it's just a very 
deliberate homage, which is a polite way to say ripoff. But I always thought it was effective, and I, I thought it was always very fun. I always look forward to the the music in Reanimator. I always thought it was a lot of uh, fun. Yeah, I will say the arrangement he does of that music, especially over the opening credits, has a nice propulsion to it with uh, mm-hmm. the, the bass to it, and the, the tempo is up a bit. And uh, Richard Band also did music uh, for the, the famous theme for the Puppet Master films, which is a good little uh, musical number as well. So we've sort of gone at a full speed ahead, uh, thanks to Thrasher for knowing so much about uh, <laughs> Stephen Gordon. We're just here for the ride. But any any kind of last thoughts about Stephen Gordon? You know, he will certainly be missed. I caught interviews of him recently on um, on Amazon Prime in the United States. The, there's a lot of trauma stuff, and there's the trauma series, uh, Direct Your Own Damn Movie. And they, have, they interview Stuart Gordon in one of the segments on that. I guess my, my own my own thoughts. Uh, Stuart Gordon's filmography uh, is well worth checking out. Uh, he he worked in enough. He, it's like most of his movies are genre hybrids, mm-hmm. but he worked in so many. He worked hybridizing so many different genres. Chances are, if you're a fan of one particular genre, he's got a movie that that at least partially fits into that. Uh, he's he's a writer and director that I don't believe uh, ever phoned it in. Even when he was doing stuff for a paycheck, he gave it his all, and and that's a great way to create and and still and survive as an artist. Yeah, I mean, one thing that sticks out, I, I haven't seen it, but it's a hell of a cast, is a TV movie he did in 1990, Daughter of Darkness, starring Anthony Perkins, uh, pretty late in his life, and Mia Sara. Um, atmospheric, sub-hallucinogenic, venture into the world of the unknown. Yeah, so it looks interesting. I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot for me to catch up on that he, he kept on making movies even as the budgets got smaller and smaller. It was cool. And then he had a lot of uh, adaptations of... Uh, you know, not just Masters of Horror because he did that show, but you know, literal Masters of Horror that did short stories like Edgar Allan Poe. He did a few ad- adaptations of those, and of course, H.P. Lovecraft. I mean, he's someone that is uh, a master of, of the master writer director of the genre, and uh, we'll miss him very much. He was only seventy-two. That was younger than I would have thought. Yeah. Uh, Alex. Yeah. Final thoughts. Um, I think that. Um... It's it's fascinating to see someone who's, you know, kind of thoroughly stuck to his guns throughout his career. And, um, you know, there's something very uh, deliberate and sincere to his filmography while also having, you know, uh, uh, a tendency towards um, black humor or dark humor throughout his uh, throughout his movies. But um, I think these days it's very hard to find a, um, a filmmaker that's uh, thoroughly committed to their vision uh, without compromising it for, you know, um, for, you know, uh, vulgar nostalgic purposes or, you know, referential, um, you know, snickering. It's uh, a lot of sincerity to his work, and I commend that a lot. So you will be missed, uh, Mr. Orton. Yep. Uh, let's wrap this up with a quick what you're watching segment. Thrasher, um, what are you watching? Well, I recently saw uh, The Night at the Museum. Uh, with... Oh, okay. Yeah, with uh, with Ben with Ben Stiller, mm. uh, Dick Van Dyke, Mickey Rooney, mm. Ricky Gervais, lo- uh, Robin Williams, a lot of people in that. Uh, it was it was okay. 
like it, it's kind of exactly what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting all that much. It was reasonably entertaining, although I have to admit, I got kind of misty-eyed watching uh, Robin Williams mm. as the mannequin yeah. of Theodore Roosevelt in this. In that first one, he was more in command of his faculties, and in, uh, I think especially the last one, uh, he could barely get on the horse. Uh, it, was, it was really sad. Okay. Well, it was, is it streaming? I'm curious. I wouldn't mind watching those, but, uh, yeah, it, it was streaming. I, I, although I remember what service we saw. <laughs> so there's so many services. It gets confusing. Uh, Alex, you probably have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, lately. So since we've been under quarantine, um, in my spare time, I've been just kind of independently writing to distributors and, um, in production company saying, "Hey, I'm a freelance film critic. Um, oh, wow. I've been wanting to see X, Y, Z. Can you can you send me a screener yeah. <laughs> so I can I can watch it and then I'll write about it." And um, I've actually gotten some feedback from it, so I was mm. able to watch um, Rodney Asher's um, the El Duce tapes. Um, Rodney Asher did the documentary essay film Room Two Three Seven and the Nightmare. And his recent movie, the El Duce tapes, is about um, these excavated uh, VHS tapes uh, chronicling the exploits of um shock rocker el duce's exploits um el duce was the lead singer of the mentors this horrible misogynist uh shock rock band that was mm. up there with the the, the tipper gore prmc uh pmrc um uh congressional hearings and it's a fascinating look at a, at a troll before trolling was a thing um and again like in the rodney asher um in the rodney asher fashion there's a lot of like mixed media um editing and it's a it's a fascinating film that's not always easy to watch because El Duce is just such an asshole. Yeah, so interesting, interesting feature. Yeah, I, I read an excerpt of uh, Woody Allen's new memoir, Apropos of Nothing, uh, from Amazon. Uh, I'd, I'd like to read a small portion of that in my Woody Allen impersonation. Before I do, um, it's been oh, savaged pretty big in the reviews. It's been savaged pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, the New York Post, which is not, you know, they, they like to exaggerate things. Uh, excerpt from the review, it says this aptly self-described roach in winter has produced one of the most tone-deaf, disgusting, bitter, self-pitying, horrifically unput-downable memoirs since Mein Kampf. Wow. Yeah. Mein Kampf. Damn, dude. Mm -hmm. uh, that's bold. Damn. Yeah. Well, I think the thing with Woody Allen is that, I mean, did he do anything since his initial incident with um, his stepdaughter? I mean, adopted daughter? Well, he he never stopped making films. I mean, he, he still right. more or less kept to his schedule of, of roughly one one release a year. That being said, though, his movies... The, I mean, the scandal followed him everywhere. His, his movies, yeah. you know, his, his movies continued to get a lot of critical acclaim. But you know, it's my understanding fewer and fewer people showed up to the theaters uh, to the theaters to see them. Right. Uh, so, so here's a bit talking about him um, going to a place when he was 13 years old as a waiter at a place called Sammy's Bowery Follies, which that that name of that place in itself sounds like the name of a Woody Allen film. <laughs> Sammy's was a gay 90s joint in the Bowery, complete with sawdust on the floor, and where buxom Sophie Tucker the dames would sing turn of the century favorites in floozy gowns while wearing big hats. 
Mabel Sidney was such a lousy singer, scene of the actress Sylvia Sidney. Her brother was George Sidney, a successful Hollywood director. I knew none of Mabel's pedigree, only that she could belt out Who's Sorry Now When You Tell Me Your Dreams, among many other vintage gems. As a favor to my father, she came to my 13th birthday party and put a little oomph into an event, otherwise indistinguishable from laying my Uncle Abe to rest at Riverside Chapel. I mean, so what I've read of this, you know, it, it reads just like that. If you like Woody Allen's voiceovers in his films, the whole thing reads like a Woody Allen voiceover, it appears. Yeah. It sounds like regardless of what you feel about Woody Allen, the book will validate your feelings. Yes. It almost, and... like, uh, <laughs> it almost sounds like the way you read it, Matt, like it was like the like the manuscript from like Kerouac's like uh like on the road or like yeah. from Joycey and stream like you said, very stream of consciousness and very like I'm intense, you know. <laughs> right. Uh So it, he hasn't written a book in, in a long time. You know, he has sort of those infamous collections of his New Yorker uh, short stories um, from from way back. So that he came up with a memoir in, in 2020 is interesting. I, I'm not sure if he's I think he's filmed a movie or two we haven't seen yet. He took a little bit of a break from his one movie a year after uh, Amazon wouldn't show his uh, last movie and he sued him and they mm-hmm. had a settlement. Yeah, the uh, rainy day in New York. It was. That's it. Was, it. Yeah. Man, eh, it was all right. Yeah. Yeah, he's it was more of the same. Yep. So uh, anyway, I the cover of this book is in the same typeface as the uh, credits to Woody Allen's films, which ah, is yes. white littering, black background. So yeah, that's what I've been checking out. So I uh, hope you liked our episode talking about Stuart Gordon. I hope it saved it because my Skype crashed. <laughs>